Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2 as we continue looking through this book. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we will be looking at the first 13 verses. Before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask for his help with the text. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that that we would be faithful hearers of it, that we would hear what you are saying to your church, um, not what we would have you say, but what you are saying. Um, we would twist your words if we were given free reign, but you protect your word for all eternity. And so, Lord, we pray now that you use it to convict our hearts of sin and to lead us to the truth, Mold your church that we might be servants of you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So one of the major ideas in the text today is this idea of keeping the message of Christ uh, true and what we do with that message, how we transmit it, how we transfer it. And it made me think of the game that lots of us played as kids, you know, uh, like youth group or whatever. The game telephone, you know, where you would whisper something in someone else's ear and then it would kind of go around the circle and the person at the end would, told everybody, would tell everybody what you heard and, or what they heard and it was always like horribly butchered and funny and everyone laughed because it was just a game, you know, one of those things. And then sometimes some people would just make it up on purpose or whatever. It was just always fun not saying I ever did anything like that. I would never do that. Um... Well, when this kind of thing happens in real life situations, you know, where something is not communicated clearly or maybe someone uh, changes your words or doesn't hear you well and it's something important, you know, this, it can have big consequences. We've all experienced that as well. Well, what about when it comes to the message of Jesus Christ and about Jesus Christ? How do we communicate that? Who do we entrust that to? How are we sure that it's being communicated Correctly, I think that's the frustration, not just with uh, the message of Christ, but with all information. And we, you know, as teachers, I think we teach the content. And when it comes to exam day, we we hope that our students have mastered the material enough to be able to apply it to other situations. Um, and when they haven't, we we ask ourselves, well, what did I do wrong? What did what did I say wrong? How did I not teach it correctly? And I think a lot of times with the scriptures. We want to do the same thing. You know, how did, when we see someone who's grown up in the church, but they're, you know, raised by great parents and they don't know how to act or behave, or they run off and do the opposites of what they've been taught and ditch everything, we have to ask ourselves what went wrong? What's going on with that? How do we guard against that? You know, how do we ensure the integrity of the message? In this passage, Paul gives Timothy some important wisdom concerning how to do this. Ultimately, that entails relying on Jesus Christ, of course, the one who's risen from the dead, who always ensures that his church will continue until he returns. And as we wait for Jesus, there are some great truths here for us on how we should live, not only handling the message of Christ, but in all that we do. 
And so as we consider the text, I'm going to look at two main ideas from it. Faithfully entrusting the message of Christ, and then second, trusting Christ in his faithfulness. And so with that, let's read the text together. Let's stand together as we read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in, the, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. And so quickly, just a review what we talked about last week. Timothy, Paul uh, talked about Timothy's legacy of faith from his mom and from his grandmother before him. They were strong believers and they passed on this teaching to him. And Paul instructed them or him then to fan into flames his faith to make good on the deposit that was entrusted to him or some other language that he used. And what is that? It's essentially the Word of God, right? The teachings of the church. And so now as we look at this passage, we see Paul directing him toward another goal. And that goal is directly related to sharing his faith, the faith that he has now owned for himself, with other people. Remember, Paul's days are numbered, and at this point there aren't many apostles left. The church is kind of resting on the authority of the apostles for all these years, and now they are dying. They're being killed, to be more specific. And so the torch is being passed. The word is being entrusted to this second generation of disciples of Christ. And this transition is vital for the church. So Paul lays down for Timothy then how he should handle this transition. So I think this is important for us to understand as well. And first point then, faithfully entrusting the message of Christ. He starts out and says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is he having us do? He says, You then, because of what you've just heard, you should do this. First, be strengthened in the grace of Christ Jesus, because the task before you is one you can't do on your own. It is faith, or it is not for the faint hearted to go out and to share the faith of Jesus Christ with a world who is killing people for that faith. And then secondly, those things that you have heard me teach, 
you need to find reliable men and entrust those things to them. Here's a similar language that Paul is using concerning that thing that he's given to Timothy, right? Entrusting, put a deposit in. These words, he's entrusting then, he's saying, Timothy, you need to take what you've learned and entrust this to other people. You should give this now to others. And so we have to think then, think about a moment. What does this process cost Paul? Well, it's cost him his life, or it's about to. Paul has done nothing but proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified, and now he will die because of that. I think sometimes we so easily kind of gloss over this fact that Paul's getting ready to be killed for nothing. He's not a thief. He's not a murderer. He's just a preacher of the gospel. And he's going to be killed for it. The gospel is a message that requires nothing of the hearer and everything of its leader, Jesus Christ. It only requires faith. And now Paul is calling Timothy to do this same kind of thing. Timothy, take this message and entrust it to others. It's going to be difficult. He's not calling Timothy to die necessarily, but to preach the gospel in that day and time meant that you were probably going to die because of it. And in verse verse 3, you see this idea. Share in the sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Share in the sufferings as a good soldier. And then he qualifies <clears throat> what a good soldier is. There's interesting that there are actually three comparisons here that Paul uses to illustrate this point using three very common professions of the time. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer all would have been able to understand this, these, uh, these ideas. Everyone knows what these, these three things are. And so his point, his point, again, is finding individuals to entrust the message to. And so then he's going to start with these comparisons and how he should do so. First, what does he say concerning the soldier? Verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So a soldier doesn't get tangled up in civilian pursuits. Why? Because his aim should be only to please the one who enlisted him. Many have taken this verse in order to justify some sort of escapist mindset, a justification for us to escape the secular world, only interact with others who believe and only do business with those who believe and so forth. The problem with that, of course, is how will they believe without a preacher, without a messenger? Paul uses those words in Romans 10. We've we've recently quoted from them. How can anyone hear the message if there isn't someone to preach it from them, to them? He's obviously not calling us to escape from the world. So what are we being called to do? We are being called to be about the business of the one who enlisted us. We can't separate ourselves from the world that we live in, nor should we live separate lives like a life of faith and then a life in the world, one where we serve Jesus and then one where we serve our own desires. Time and time again, we are told not to do that. But instead, we should be single-minded in our service to the Lord, not letting the world distract us in this pursuit. 
of getting the message out to other people. And so next, he talks about the athlete. And he said that the athlete, verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. We all understand this idea, right? Even though some athletes are crowned and then later have their crowns taken away because they didn't compete according to the rules. That happens a whole lot now, unfortunately. But again, this is a similar idea. Our service to Christ has nothing to do with our own thoughts of how it should be. I think a lot of times we want to enter our own thoughts in here. Well, this is what my service to Christ looks like. What does yours look like? And we all have these our own ideas that we derive from ourselves. No, that's not right. It has to do with how he has called us. He has called us to do what? Well, to worship him according to how he has commanded. He has called us to preach and teach certain things, the truth of Scripture, the gospel. He has called us to place our hope only in him, not in the things of this world. And then so to do anything else then is to break the rules. We might snag lots of followers by breaking the rules, but we'll forfeit the crown. I regularly get asked things like, how do you plan to grow your church? And I think it's by well-meaning folks. But when I say by preaching the word and through prayer, they seem shocked. What were they hoping for? I get asked this by pastors that I love and respect. And when I tell them that, it's almost as if I, they think I've given up. I guess if I wanted to fill seats, we could like give away money or pizza or something like that. But what we have to give folks is so much more than that. That doesn't mean that we close our doors and preach and pray and let God fill the seats, as it were. It doesn't mean that we... Don't do the work that is involved at this. We're going to get to that next. There is a right way to market the church and invite folks and people to come, obviously. But when we stop trusting the Lord to grow his church, we forfeit the prize and trade it for something that you can get in a box of Cracker Jacks. So we have to be careful with that. Lastly, he compares the work to a farmer who should have his first share of the harvest. Why? Well, because the farmer did all the work to get the harvest, right? It makes sense. Admittedly, this is a bit tough. How do we kind of put this into what he's currently talking about? But I think for us, it's a call for hard work. It's a call for us to do the hard work. That doesn't contradict what we just said. Again, we trust the Lord to grow his church through the ordinary means of grace. However, he has trusted us with a great gift, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Should we hide it under a bush? Should we bury it and wait till he comes back? I mean, these are stories that Jesus told, right? No, we shouldn't do either one of those. Obviously not. We should take the gift and see that it is multiplied. And so then how do we do that? What is the work that we should do in order to do that? Well, again, look back at verse 2. We entrust it to reliable men and women who will teach others also. We have a word for this in church speak today. It's called discipleship. We are called to be disciplers of men and women. 
what is this process? Well, I think, unfortunately, we tend to overthink it, but it's basically teaching them the faith and entrusting it to them. Not simply talking about it necessarily, but living it. Showing them, the people that we are teaching, discipling, how it speaks to every part of life. Family, vocation, finances, relationships. Every decision, every thought, everything that we do has to do with our faith. Discipleship is about a process of setting the words of life before an individual, making a deposit, as it were, in their souls, then trusting them to take up that mantle and do the same with it. And this happens to this, this should happen obviously first and foremost in our homes, moms and dads discipling their children. Deuteronomy 6, as it puts it, you know, what do they do? They rise up as you rise up, as you lay down, our comings and our goings, everything that we do. It says that it should be on the doorposts of our homes, on our foreheads even. What does that mean? Well, it should be throughout our homes. It should be in all of our thoughts, words, and deeds. In everything that we do and show should be our faith, should be the word of God in all that we are. And it should also happen in our churches as well, as Paul instructed Titus. What did he say to Titus? Well, older men instructing younger men, older women instructing younger women, those who are strong in the faith instructing those who are weak, those who are knowledgeable, instructing those who lack knowledge. I think we get the idea. Our churches, our church here, should be a hub for discipleship. It's where folks come to be discipled, and it's where folks later become disciples. This should be our goal. This is the work that we are called to do, brothers and sisters. And so let's pray to the church, or to the Lord, that he would help us in this task as a church, that he would raise up men and women to lead and then to be led. And so that leads us to the second point then, trusting Christ in his faithfulness. In verse 7, Paul reminds Timothy that the Lord, it's the Lord that gives understanding. He says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. That's a, that's a, um, a comfort to us. We feel like we need to derive our own understanding. It's the Lord who helps us. Uh, who helps us disciple and be discipled, as it were. I think those are constantly things that are going on, by the way. We never stop being discipled, and we should never stop discipling others. He says, in starting at verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. He goes on to explain again why it is that he has done what he has done. He says, This is what I'm suffering for. Bound with chains as a criminal, which he's not. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. For the sake of the elect, for the sake of God's people, so that they may hear about the risen Savior. He then goes on to quote a hymn or some poetry from their day. And I love this because it contains comfort for us as believers, but it's also a challenge for us. 
Verses 11, 12, and 13 say, If we have died with him, we will also live with him. This is a challenge for us. If we endure, we will also reign with him. This is comforting for us. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. The comfort is that he is continuing to work in us. He is ensuring that the message is faithfully carried out and carried on even despite us. If we have died with him, we will live with him. That is a guarantee. If we endure, we will reign. That should comfort our souls. But notice, if we deny him, meaning if we finally fall away, if we walk away from the faith, if we prove ourselves, if we prove that we have not died with him, that we have not endured with him, then he denies us. This is a final kind of apostasy. You see this explained in Hebrews 6 and 10. They talk quite a bit about that. I think we could go on for several hours discussing this idea, but we don't have that kind of time. I think suffice it to say we see examples of this with Saul in the Old Testament, with Judas in the New Testament. And so if you're interested in that kind of thing, we can, we can talk about it afterwards. But this idea of denying him, he will deny us, has to do with a final apostasy. We don't need to combine that with this idea of being faithless, whereas he remains faithful. This is important to us because there will be times that we have this faithlessness. Those times when we are wrestling with our faith, maybe struggling with the word, not seeing ourselves being able to carry on the true message of the faith. And we need to be relieved of any worry. Why? Because he is faithful. He cannot deny himself. He is not like us. He can't tell a lie. He is always going to be faithful to his word. His word always does as he purposes it to do. Even when the vessels, us, are dirty, his word remains pure. He uses us despite our failings. And the church's continuation in the world isn't dependent upon us. Were it left up to us, it would be like a bad game in youth group of the telephone, right? It would get so twisted up by the end, no one would understand it. But it's not left up to us, thanks be to God. His word always comes true, or it always comes through, and it is absolutely true. So in conclusion... We have this great truth to preach and teach to each other and to a listening world. Jesus saves, repent, and believe. It is a message entrusted to us so that we might entrust it to others. This is a continuing process. God is good. He uses people like us, broken people like us, to do his work. So let's do it. Let us do so without separating ourselves from the world as might be easy to do. As we heard in the prayer request, these, these atheists are nailing their 95 theses to the, to the walls of the church. Well, does that mean we should be scared and run? No, we should talk to them. We want to hear what they have to say. We want to address their concerns. And we want to preach to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should not separate from the world. We should work in it to see all things made new to the glory of Jesus Christ. 
And let us do so trusting the plan that's laid out in Scripture, not inventing our own rules and somehow forfeit the crown, but following his. And then let us, as Jesus said, put our hands to the plow and not look back. The message that we have is the most important thing that anyone can ever hear. And so, brothers and sisters, let us be faithful to it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord, we pray that as we preach and teach, as we talk to others, as we even think about our faith, that our thoughts, that our words, our actions would all be faithful to the message that you have given us. You have entrusted us with this message, and Lord, help us then to teach it to others, to entrust it to others to lay it before them that they might take it up and teach others also. We are thankful that you continue to grow your church even in the face of adversity, even in the face of persecution. You are good and you grow your church in the most inhospitable places in the world. You have always done so because your word is true and it always does as you purpose it to do. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.